Welcome to Fine Tuning with Do Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm entertainer writer Jim Hill and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over on The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can listen to on Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. Anyway, he and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, July 30th, 2023. And it's Kind of a slow news week, Drew, but honestly, with the writers out and the actors out on strike, that's not really to be unexpected, right? No, not at all. And you should have seen the uh, the picketers at, at Disney this week. I, I went down to report from the front lines <laughs> on Friday and literally, Jim, you'll appreciate this, parked 12 minutes away from the actual studio lot because there were so many people out and so many people parked in that neighborhood. If you need wow. to get your steps in, you know, the, the the Disney picket line is a good place to do it because I think it's over a mile in total length. So, yeah, if you're looking to, to work out and you're looking to uh, express your disapproval with the AMPTP, <sighs> that's a good place to do it because, wow, it is, no, it is no. long and it, and it was hot. Did you find it interesting this week? I mean, you know, I, I want to say Kim Masters did a piece about the, what a Bob Iger's very good or very bad, no good week of PR. It's so interesting that previously Bob Iger had been almost uh, Teflon Bob. That nothing stuck. And now it just seems like so many people are talking about him. In fact, did you see the thing today about Titania Mansley, the the actress who played the lead role in She-Hulk, you know, she came out and say, was saying some pretty cutting things about Bob Iger and how out of touch he was and how shameful it was he was paid as much as he was. And it's like, you are hoping for a second season of, of She-Hulk, aren't you? <laughs> well, I don't think uh, I don't think Brian Cranston will be working for Disney anytime soon uh, either. Yeah, or Fran Drescher for that yeah. matter. In fact, we'll talk a bit more about the long-range implications of, of these two unions being out on strike. I, I, they really came home on Friday. What with the news coming out of, of Sony about various releases being delayed. But we'll get to that news in a moment. But first, uh, the news portion of this week's fine-tuning is brought to you by Turing Plan's own travel company. These folks obviously know their stuff. And when you you go to book your next trip to Walt Disney World, they'll also toss in a free subscription to Touring Plants for free. So for more information about our brand new sponsor, please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. Okay, again, we were just talking about Sony, who due to strike-related issues, or, or that's what they're saying, changed the release date of a large portion of their 2023-2024 slate. So just to walk through it quickly to get to the animation-related news, uh, we had Craven the Hunter, which was supposed to come out October 6th of this year, got pushed back all the way back to August 30th of next year. Sony sequel to Ghostbuster Afterlife, which was supposed to be their big holiday 2023 release opening on December 20th, is now attached to a different holiday, uh, Easter 2024. That opens on March 29th of next year. Madam Web kind of bucked the trend. It was originally supposed to be released on February 16th of next year. Actually got its release date pushed forward two days to the February 14th, Valentine's Day. And also Venom 3 
which was originally supposed to arrive in theaters in October of next year, has now been moved up to July of 2024, or opening ahead by three months. And then, finally getting to the animation news, Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse has actually been pulled off of Sony's release schedule entirely. Um, again, it was supposed to open in theaters on March 29th of next year, that's the date I was just mentioning for the Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel. But I've heard from a number of people that pulling Beyond the Spider-Verse off the schedule entirely is really providing cover for the Phil Lord production issues that Phil evidently has kind of a chaotic directing storytelling style and you know there was already a lot of talk that there was just no way this movie was going to make it for the March 29th release date and now with you know the whole issue of actors not being available to voice roles and and that sort of thing it's just sort of like in, in a weird sort of way this is the, one of the only situations where uh, the writers and actors going out on strike was kind of a kindness you know it, it, they now have an excuse to push this off by as much as a year? Are, are you hearing anything to that effect? Or? Well, I mean, as someone who has uh, chronicled in absolute forensic detail the mm -hmm. Mission Impossible series, and every time, you know, something happens or, you know, Tom mm -hmm. breaks his ankle or, you know, COVID mm -hmm. shuts down, yep. they always end up making mm -hmm. the movie better. And I think that this can only help Spider-Verse. I mean... The filmmakers are still able to work on it, um, you know, without the voice talent. What what I had heard was that there there was just they hadn't start really started recording dialogue mm -hmm. for it like okay. at all. So yeah, that's the reason why it's gonna be taken off the schedule. But I really do believe that it is going to be even better because of this. Just to be clear here, I mean nobody is saying that the two of the eventually to be three. Spider-Verse movies. Again, they're wonderful. Sometimes great art comes from chaos, but again, it was those stories coming off of the productions of people doing 12-hour days, seven days a week, you know, trying to meet a release date. And it's just an interesting time that so many people are out on strike trying to mitigate the AI issue and looking for a fiscal parity, you know, for, for what's going on in the industry now. And it's just, you know, but there are other other aspects of, of life in Hollywood that, that could get some attention and, and be improved. And just over the last decade or so, when so many animated features kind of went to the special effects production footing, you know, the whole notion of you have a tiny team working on story and getting the film ready to start producing and then when it's finally time i mean you still have that release date you still have to make make it just get me the bodies i need in here to do this and as soon as they're done thank you goodbye so yeah well anyway <laughs> for further depressing news after 120 episodes have been produced over a 10-year period paul ruddish's flat out wonderful series of Mickey Mouse shorts is, is finally coming to an end. And it's just, I'm sorry, it just, it seems like it was five minutes ago when the first one of the series, uh, Croissant du Triomphe, uh, debuted on the Disney Channel back in 2013. 
And in fact, I, I was just checking that was five months before Frozen. Uh, you know, the very first Frozen came out in theaters. And I just remember watching the thing. And I mean, do you remember in that that was the first when they did the first throwaway gag where Mickey is driving the delivery scooter through Cinderella Castle and he actually disrupts Prince Charming and Cinderella. I think he's he's slipping the, the shoe on her foot. And it's just sort of like, what is this? Just from that point, they got better and better and better. I mean, they always looked great. They always had a, a, a great design and great music. Oh yeah, you know Christopher Wills and Chris Diamantopoulos, who did Mickey's voice for the series. I'm sorry, and no disrespect for Brett to Brett Iwain, but. Chris is my favorite Mickey. I mean, just that sort of Mickey by way of Mo Howard. Yes. It just it killed me every time. And if it weren't for this series, we wouldn't have the, I'm sorry. I, you know, and again, I know I'll piss off a lot of people by saying this, but I think that Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway is a, is honestly a more entertaining attraction than what Disney had allowed the great movie ride to devolve into. They changed the film montage at the end and but kept all of the animatronic scenes the same that they were from what May of 89 whereas at least Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway it is funny and exciting. So what have you heard about the very last short Steamboat Silly? Well, I did you watch it, Jim? It's on my list for today. Nine minutes, Jim. You only get nine minutes of nine. of you know no. reprieve, but that, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, I thought it was great. I mean, what was interesting was that they really didn't like publicize that this, that this was the last Mickey short. I think I found out because I saw an interview with Paul somewhere, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. I did not. Realize that if I were them, I would maybe put a little bit more pomp and circumstance behind it. But like, Yo. you know, as you were saying, like, you know, over the past few years, we've had mm-hmm. a, a half hour Halloween special. We've had a half hour Christmas special. We've had those wonderful world of Mickey Mouse shorts where they would kind of package them yeah. into seasons. And I mean, seasons as in like fall, summer, you know, spring, mm-hmm. winter. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is just great. It's kind of, you know, it goes back to the beginning, the, the, the concept is that he finds quote unquote home movies and one of the home movies is Steamboat mm-hmm. Willie and then as he's watching it the Steamboat Willie mm-hmm. version of himself kind of springs to life and runs out of the mm-hmm. house and since Jim we all know that animated mm-hmm. films are made 24 frames a second 24 you know mm-hmm. times however many of Mickey Mouse get loose in uh, in Mickey's town and he's got to go clean it up and I, what I thought was ingenious as I said to you over email was it was like this also really mm-hmm. establishes Steamboat Willie Jim as a property mm-hmm. of the Walt Disney Company, not for copyright infringement. I'm so happy you circled around to that because it's a, like, you know, you got to give him that much. I mean, that's the Disney legal department. It's, you know, it's like, you, you, you clever minxes there. Yeah. By the end of the nine minutes, you might see other mm-hmm. versions of Mickey Mouse in there as well. So, you know, I'm I'm just ready for Mickey into the Mickeyverse myself. Although mm. I was, of course, disappointed to see that Runaway Rail, I mean, sorry, Runaway Brain Mickey does not make an appearance. But I think we, we probably figured that would. Be By the, the way, I know you have 
an obsession, as you should, because it's a great short, with Runaway Brain, okay? And I have to tell you that just recently, in fact, it, it kind of comes out of me doing the talking head thing at Dayton, Disneyana back in June. But last day of the event, the folks who run the chapter, Gary and Anita Scheingold, they had all of these items that had been donated to the club, and they were basically like, we're putting them all on a table here, and if anybody wants them, take them. And so I, I don't need anything. I have a house full of crud. But I was uh, walking by the table, I looked, and there was a pile of 12, maybe 15 of the Disney Sketches magazine, the thing that was well, put out quarterly for the Walt Disney Collector's Society. And I was like, oh, since I've been home, I have managed over the past couple of weeks to complete uh, the club only, I guess, uh, the Collector's Society only existed for like 17 years. So I've, I've gotten all but two of of the issues and they're they're fascinating windows into what was going on to at the disney company at, at that time anyway the reason i tell you the story is the magazine that just came in the mail on saturday had a two-page spread which i will copy and send to you of the two collector figure you know the, 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 I, I want to say there were only editions of 500 of, of each sculpture from Runaway Brain. Oh, really? This was made in America? I've seen some of the Japanese it was, stuff. No, this was made in America for members of the Collector's Society. So it's the feral Mickey and then uh, the mad scientist that was voiced by Kelsey Grammer. Oh, is this like a two-pack? Okay. Okay, I'm looking I'm looking on eBay right now, Jim, as you're talking. So I'm trying to find okay. what this but is. But again, I know your obsession with, with this short. Because Disney has worked so studiously over the past couple of years to sort of wipe traces off the map and pretend that there was no merge, that there was nothing. And the fact that you made porcelain statues of this and you sold it to your most dedicated fans. And it's like, <laughs> we got you now. <laughs> Well, I love that that's what they thought people would want, porcelain statues. But, oh, God, the Mickey isn't as great as some of the, the, the runaway brain stuff that I've seen out there. But the, the mad scientist, oh, my God, they did a great job. Frank and Ollie. Jim, we love Frank and Ollie. That's right, Dr. Frank and Ollie. Ah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. In other news... We have some, some interesting news about The Boy and the Heron, uh, again, supposed to be the last Hayao Miyazaki movie, and it's now going to do its North American debut in Toronto, right? Yeah, it's going to be the new opening night film for the Toronto International mm -hmm. Film Festival, so I cannot wait to hear what people think, because I know you and I are yeah. dying to see it, Jim, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep seeing the same sort of reviews coming out of Japan to the effect that people walking out of the movie saying, it's important, it's profound, I didn't understand it, I have to go back. Miyazaki's Tree of Life, perhaps? You think that's what we're getting? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, I'm pulling for the dinosaurs then. Well, other Miyazaki thing, Jim, I wanted to tell you, I know this is mm. not an episode of Hey, I Want That, but did you see the levi's princess mononoke collection that's coming out next week no really <laughs> yeah it's really it's a really huh. great collection it comes out on august 6th uh it's you know 
denim from Levi. jackets and pants wow. and a great kimono with the you know the spirit uh, the big kind of glow in the dark spirit of the forest on the back i mean really mm-hmm. beautiful stuff that uh if you're a fan mm-hmm. of levi's if you're a fan of studio ghibli it's really mm-hmm. really impressive so keep that on your radar i'll send you the the uh the photos Jim. oh no no, yeah. no please 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 that's intriguing yeah uh, now well again as we mentioned on last week's show you and charles led that panel at comic-con and hall h for teenage mutant ninja turtles uh mutant mayhem we're just days out now from that Jeff Rowe movie being released to theaters. But out ahead of that, you wanted to talk about the fascinating plan for the future of this franchise, which involves bridge series and then a, a sequel film, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I was at the quote unquote premiere gym, but it was really a fan event uh, on the lot on okay. Saturday, which was very cool because they had all these activations and you know, mm-hmm. face painting and all this stuff, even though it was about 9,000 degrees out uh, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. But I got to see the final finished film for the first time, and I thought it was mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful. They've done so much great work mm-hmm. since Annecy. Mm-hmm. So if you've only seen okay. it there, definitely check it out again. It's just a delight. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the plan right now is that there's going to be two seasons of a mm-hmm. traditionally animated, which I assume is just means 2D, that it'll still be computer animated, mm-hmm. but traditionally animated series, Mm -hmm. and then a second movie after that, once again directed and co-written by Jeff Rowe. So I'm very excited. All right, so that in theory is 2025 or 2026? Well, at this point, maybe, yeah, 26, I mean. Okay, yeah, with the the strike and the like. Yeah. That is not a new idea. Do you remember when... Ron Howard was talking about making, was it a Dark Tower movie? But but movie, but with the idea that there'd be a Dark Tower movie and then a TV series, a limited series, and then another Dark Tower movie released to theaters and then another limited series. And Yeah, I don't remember what the, yeah, what the... Mm -hmm layout was but yeah it was it was something where you had to watch tv shows and Mm -hmm. movies to get the full story which if the last few awkward years of marvel studios storytelling has uh, (laughs) that doesn't work all the time does it jim i have to finish secret invasion at some point Eh. okay speaking of universal when we get back we're going to talk about how the Simpsons ride actually owes some of its funniest gags to an earlier writer's strike, the one back in 2007 and 2008. Drew, you've undoubtedly seen there's been a lot of press lately about the Back to the Future, the musical that was on the West End, has transferred to Broadway, and will be opening at the Winter Garden Theater in New York, in fact, later this week on on August 30th. How do we feel about this? I am very excited about it. I would love to go Mm -hmm. see it. I think the songs Mm -hmm. are a little silly, but I love Back to the Mm -hmm. Future so much. I just can't, can't wait to go. Did you see people petitioning for, since Universal Studios Hollywood is getting the Fast and Furious coaster and sidebar yes, did you know that yes. those did you know that those dancing cars are still partitioned off in the back lot 
I saw that. I don't know who did the flyover, yeah. but yeah. I mean, remember when you used to take the tram tour, they used to make this like really hard left in and then sort of circle around and then they'd fire up the Kuka arms and the wasn't it tied to uh, Tokyo Drift? Yes, it was. Or something yeah. like that. Oh, it was just, you know, again, don't get me wrong. I love the tram tour. But I mean, again, I love real Hollywood. So when you drove by the actual sets or, you know, like Six Corners or, or, or that sort of thing, that was great. But something like that where it's like, hi, we need to waste two minutes of time, yeah. you know, and so pull in and just and watch two cars on the end of Kook Arms dance. It, yeah, that, there's a reason that's behind the fence. Speaking of Kook Arms, Jim, and not to get completely off topic, mm-hmm. but did you see that Beyonce has Kook yeah. Arms in her show, her, her concert right now? <sighs> No, yeah. really? Yes, I will send you the video. It's absolutely insane. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Oh my god. People are petitioning. That's a, okay. Yeah, I, I will send you the, mm-hmm. the footage. People are petitioning online to make the tunnel where you mm-hmm. go through, you know, Fast and Furious, Supercharged in Hollywood, turn that back into mm-hmm. a Back to the Future something, because people are desperate, oh. and I think it yeah. needs to come back to the park in some capacity. I think that at least the pre-show was better than Star Tours. And Star Tours was kind of kick-ass. I mean, that whole thing of you come in, you know, I mean, you walk into the old Adventures Through Inner Space building and there's a full-size Star Speeder and, and R2-D2 and, and C-3PO and you, you make your way upstairs and, you know, and then you have that intimate ride experience of, what, just 40 of you in, in the Star Speeder, whereas... Back to the Future took that and doubled down on it. I mean, I loved that as you made your way through the queue, then it was just eight of you in a tiny little room being talked to by Doc. And, you know, only you, you can save us from Biff. And then that moment when the door opened and there's a DeLorean sitting waiting for you. And it's not a question of like, okay, the Star Speeder 3000. All right, I get it. It's, you know, it looks like it fits into the, the Star Wars universe where the DeLorean was the DeLorean and you got in the DeLorean. Those folks aren't wrong. That thing should come back into the park in some way because it's been closed since March of 2007. And it closed because since the spring of 2006, Universal had been meeting with the folks over at Gracie Films, the ones who produced the the Simpsons TV show for Fox or, or Fox back then, Disney now, with the idea of bringing those characters into the Universal theme parks. And there was a full two years of development on this thing. Have you ever heard the first story they developed for the ride? No, I, I am, I'm ready to hear it, Jim. I am ready to receive your sympathetic vibrations. <laughs> well, there we go. Okay, the original storyline for the Simpsons ride was It was bring your kids to work day at the Springfield nuclear power plant. And what ends up happening is, of course, Bart does something horrible and they have to immediately flee the power plant. And it was the radiation being released from the power plant 
accidentally that caused Maggie to become the giant baby in the the ride that we know today. In fact, that was the only carryover from the original version of the attraction. But this was during that period where Harry Shearer kind of got a buck up his butt. And it just, he decided that, you know, he wasn't going to take part in this project, largely because of the paltry amount of money uh, that was being offered by Universal for the voice actors to come over and do the Simpsons ride. And and the problem was when he said, I'm not going to do it, it's like, oh, crud, that's Smithers and Mr. Burns. And we have a storyline that's set at the Springfield Nuclear Power Plant. And it's like, we can't tell that story if we don't have those two characters. So that forced uh, this massive rewrite of the storyline of the attraction. In fact, that's how we wound up with the, the crusty land idea and so on and so forth. But as they're working on the attraction and they're forced to make these changes, this is when the writer's strike of 2007 and 2008 happens. And what gets fascinating is the guys who write for The Simpsons Show suddenly are like, well, I, I have no work. And it's like, well, wait a minute. They're working on The Simpsons Ride, and they're, they're literally hiring writers to work on the script for this attraction. And since it's a theme park attraction, I'm not in violation with anything I've signed for the Guild. I'm not doing television. I'm not doing movies. It, this doesn't cover theme park rides. And so... I will tell you from having talked with Mike West, the former Imagineer who would end up at Universal Creative, and he told the story about how they would send a script back to Gracie, you know, to the effect of, okay, we need this joke punched up, we need that joke punched up, and the script would come back completely rewritten. And it would be better, but it was like it was a floor-to-ceiling rewrite. And then Mike would find one or two other things, and it's like, okay, no, no, seriously, guys, I only need you to fix this gag and this gag. And it would come back, again, a floor-to-ceiling rewrite. And it's like, what the hell's going on? And, you know, he finally called out to California, and it's like, there's a full staff of writers from the show working on, and, and remember, it's it's a theme park ride. It's It's what, four minutes, five minutes long? But it was the lifeboat during that strike. And so whenever you know, Universal made a request for a rewrite, it was all hands on deck. And to justify the fact that I'm getting a check for this, I had to make sure that you know my gag got in the, the rewritten script for The Simpsons run. And so finally, Mike, you know, literally had that we're done. We're done. You know, I mean, you know, that this it's not perfect, but we're done. I, we can't keep doing this, especially on Universal's dime. But the ride itself, the redo was $40 million. And when I asked Mike, you know, that's a lot for I mean, you had the pre-existing physical plant. And he's like, no, 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 no. We redid everything. I mean, the car, you know, it's no longer the DeLorean. That's completely changed. The mechanics underneath the motion-based simulator, they're completely redone. The vertical movement in the ride may be the same, but everything else is different. So anyway, Simpsons ride at Universal Studios Florida. Soft opens April 2008, and the official grand opening is held May 15th of that same year. Hugely popular ride at the gate. I actually, it's a millionth rider is on board this thing July 14th, 2008, and Universal had never had a ride 
reach a, a million riders that quickly. And uh, by the way, the the West Coast version, uh, Universal Studios Hollywood, opens May nineteenth of that same year. Now, I have to assume you've heard much of the same thing about The Simpsons in regard to the Universal theme parks. About what is it? It's four five year renewals on the thing, right? Yeah, once upon a time that was the case before a certain yeah. company took over the Simpsons. Yeah. There we go. There we go. And so that's the thing that if we follow the math here folks, deal started in the spring of 2008. So you throw 20 years on that and surprise surprise, that's 5 years from now. That's 2028. And a lot of people are pointing to the fact that the Simpsons, at least on the park map for Universal Studios Hollywood, are being played down. And in Florida, where once the animal actors and the Woody Woodpecker Kid Zone once stood, we're now getting the DreamWorks animation area. And it's not all that hard to imagine that come five years from now, especially given the way Comcast is be aggressively leaning into its own IP. In fact, I'm sure you saw the villain con is now, I, I guess, getting ready to do the, I, they finished with their universal team member tech rehearsals and they're not about to do uh, the soft opening for the annual pass holders. But this thing could be open to the public by August. Uh, just gonna be interesting to see what animated property might go into the Simpson setup. And, and <laughs> I have to tell you, though, Drew, in, in the best of all possible worlds, at least for me, you know, somebody might have the genius idea of putting Back to the Future, the ride, back into that building. Because, again, I just enjoyed the hell out of that. It was a really special ride, yeah. But at least it's on all the DVDs and stuff that you can that you buy now. So This is true. This is true. But on the other hand, again, when you were in that teeny tiny office and you you saw the far sides that, you know, Doc Brown had stuck up on the wall of his office. It was, it was pretty cool. Anyway, speaking of things that I love, 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 love. Look, folks, if you are not listening to Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, you're just missing out on so much stuff. And the Light the Ooze podcast, where where are they in the, the production pipeline? We are, we are, well, we are one... We are, we are just one episode away. We have Henry Cerny is uh, his first part of his interview. So we've talked to Kittredge. Mm-hmm. It's a great wide-ranging conversation. That drops today, the same day that this episode is out. And then next Tuesday, we'll have our Light the Use episode with uh, Jeff Rowe, which is a lot of fun. He's great. Mm-hmm. He gives some great stories about the making of the movie mm-hmm. and uh, working with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross mm-hmm. and all this great stuff. So that'll be that'll be the following Tuesday. And after you listen to Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, folks, we have a couple other podcasts here we'd like you to check out. We have Disney Dish, which I do with Len Testa. We have Marvelous Disney, uh, which I do with Aaron Adams, and also has a fun Patreon show of his own. Uh, that is 32nd Street, which celebrates the darker side of, of Madison Avenue. And then we have Looking at Lucasfilm, I do with Brian Gahn. Anyway, Drew, where are you now? Now, you you are Threads, you are Blue Sky, you are Mastodon. Yeah, I'm not not Mastodon. I'm on Blue Sky and Threads, although I haven't really used either. Although Twitter slash X is becoming even more 
insufferable. Well, I, again, still on the X and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, uh, and we've got a bare bones thread thing going. Likewise on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Um, beyond that, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could go over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, fine-tuning, but also Light the Fuse, the, the official Mission Impossible podcast, that would be cool. And if you really, really like what you hear here, uh, if you want to go to Bandcamp and subscribe, that will be cool. And I guess that's going to do it for this week. So thanks for listening, folks, and we'll be back next week.